on deck on Turning the Corner. Cody Stavenhagen and Kieran Steckley examine the Detroit Tigers 2021 opening day roster and give their keys to a successful season. And welcome into another episode of Turning the Corner, a Detroit Tigers podcast. I am Kieran Steckley. With me, as always, the Athletics, Cody Stavenhagen. It is opening week, Cody. Are you excited? Yeah, I'm doing good, Kieran. It is the weekend before opening day. The sun is out. It's nice outside. I'm hearing Dan Dickerson's voice on the radio, and we are only a few days away from real meaningful baseball. Got a COVID vaccine appointment in downtown Detroit in a couple days, so I think things are looking up. Yeah, things are looking up. As we said, it is opening week. Matthew Boyd will be on the bump for the Tigers on Thursday. We'll talk about this and all the roster moves that have happened since the last time we talked, but just overall, Matthew Boyd getting the bump, what do you make of that? Yeah, I was kind of somewhat surprised. I think he got the ball on opening day probably because Spencer Turnbull is on the non-baseball IL. Uh, Boyd obviously had the worst ERA of any qualifying starting pitcher in baseball last year. Um, I wrote a story last opening day, you know, titled Matthew Boyd and the the making of an ace. Definitely kind of regret that headline uh, because he, you know, I think... You know, ace is a debated word in baseball. Was Is Matthew Boyd one of the best 15 pitchers in the game? No, but he started opening day. He was technically the ace of the Tigers, in my view. He's their opening day starter. Um, and I really liked Matthew Boyd last year. I thought he was going to have a good year. He didn't. I was very wrong. So, it's, so it's, it's kind of unusual that you have a terrible year and you still get to be the opening day starter again. But welcome to... Um, this Tigers pitching staff, pretty much everyone else was was still trying to seal a rotation spot. Boyd has, you know, the contract, the somewhat bigger salary. And I think A.J. Hinch talked about wanting a veteran presence out there on the mound opening day. Someone who's been through it can kind of handle the emotions. Regardless of how Boyd pitches, he is viewed as a leader on this staff because of his experience, the way he handles himself. And so in that regard, I think he is still a good fit. I think he represents this franchise well, um, is a likable guy, a good guy for fans to see on the bump at Comerica Park. At the same time, I think Matthew Boyd as your opening day starter is a little bit of a a reality check to remind you where this team is at. Um, You don't have a bona fide ace. Tarek Skubal and Casey Mize are in the rotation, but they are young. They have a lot to prove. Um, those guys might start opening days here in the years to come, but this is very much still a transitionary year. And, and that's, that's kind of why Matthew Boyd is the guy on the bump. Although he looked pretty good in his last spring outing, there's still reason to be encouraged. He has good stuff. Uh, but, but, you know, Boyd's numbers really since the 2019 all-star break are, not that impressive. So Matthew's one of those guys you root for, but I, I don't I didn't get the sense the Tigers fan base was thrilled at the announcement of, of Matt Boyd as the opening day starter, and you can definitely understand why. And joining Boyd in the starting rotation, at least to start the year, Jose Urania, Julio Tehran, Casey Mize, and Tarek Skubal. And that's not exactly in the order, but what do you make of that starting five, Cody? Yeah, again, I think you're. It, it hurts to not have Turnbull to start the season. I think he was probably your best pitcher. He had your best year last year, but I think it's still a pretty. It's it's going to be kind of a fun rotation to watch. You have a guy in Tehran who's really impressed, look kind of rejuvenated this spring, um, and people forget he's a two time All Star. He was a great starting pitcher for the Braves there in in kind of the uh, middle part of the last decade. Jose Urania, another guy who has looked pretty good in the major leagues before, has looked pretty good this spring. Um, and then, of course, Tarek Skubal and Casey Mize. These guys are the future. They are kind of must-see every time they take the mound, regardless of how they perform. I think they are fun to watch. I think Skubal um, especially is just a fun pitcher to watch throw the ball. Casey Mize, he looked terrific there in his last spring outing. Really had the performance he needed to seal a rotation spot, um, and you can see the stuff. You can see the life. 
And, uh, yeah, it looked like Casey Mize, maybe he listened to the podcast and wanted to show me that, that he did have some command. Um, I think he would need to show everyone that he had some command, and he did it very well for three innings. Actually misplaced the fastball a little bit in his fourth inning. But this guy was still 1-1 overall, and I think he showed the stuff that kind of reminded us all why. So um, I, I think just the simple fact you guys, you have those guys in the rotation um, can make this team interesting to follow. Is it as simple as he had a good outing and, and then he's in the rotation? It was one of those things where it felt good symmetry-wise that he, he was lights out. What do you have? Nine strikeouts in four innings or whatever it was. and Yeah. But it was one of those things I kept thinking, is it really good to sort of like base it off that start? Like, was he teetering or is it or is it like revisionist where we're thinking, well, he pitched really well and then like a day later he's announced he's in the starting rotation? Yeah, it's it's kind of complicated, like some of both, I think. AJ Hinch had Casey Mize and Michael Fulmer, I believe, pitching on the same day for a reason, maybe to kind of see who was going to earn that rotation spot. And Mize probably got the start as an indicator he was ahead, and they kind of liked what Fulmer had done out of the bullpen in his previous outing. Hinch said the decision was a spring-long decision. It didn't come down to one outing. But I think it. I think Mize needed to show something that night. Mize himself admitted, "Yeah, like there was a little extra in my head. I tried to uh, suppress it, but he was a little more fired up than normal. I think he needed a good outing to leave no doubt. He probably would have been in the rotation anyway, just because of his status." Um, Hinch and Chris Fetter thought his his performance and the stuff behind his pitches was a little bit better than the numbers reflected all spring, but he finally went out and pounded the strike zone instead of kind of trying to nibble around the corners. And uh, he had the outing that they wanted him to have. So that kind of saved them from maybe having to make a harder decision. If that makes any sense, having a good outing at the time he did helped his case. Chances are he's probably in the rotation anyway, but that decision got made a whole lot easier when he went out and, uh, and has best outing in the spring. Yeah. Because in the lead up, listening to Dan Dickerson on the radio broadcast and the games prior to Mize's last outing, it kind of sounded like he was accepting the fact that Mize might not make it and then he's going to have to go to the training side or get some starts in AAA or, you know, is that the best thing for the development? They're kind of talking their way into saying like, hey, it's okay. And I was reading that as, you're just trying to sort of save face, just like the Tiger supporter in general, not not any knock against Dan. So it all works out in the end that he's going to get that rotation piece. You, you mentioned Michael Fulmer. He's in the reliever spots, along with Tyler Alexander, Jose Cisnero, Buck Fulmer, Farmer, excuse me, Brian Garcia, Derek Holland, Daniel Norris, and Gregory Soto. Uh, a lot of firepower and, and some versatility in those bullpen arms, Cody. Well, I, I think when we talk about the bullpen, we have to start with the news here Saturday morning that Joe Jimenez um, has been optioned to Toledo. That's, I, in my mind, maybe not a huge story for the rest of the baseball world, but in the Tigers world, that's a pretty big story. There's a guy who's an all-star in 18, who you kept wanting to be your closer, and he just hasn't put it together. And I think you saw Hinch and Chris, you know, on our first episode of this podcast, you said, who's the guy who should be, you know, right by Chris Fetter all spring. And I kind of said Joe Jimenez. And uh, I'm sure Joe Joe worked his butt off this spring, but he didn't have the results. And I think this was kind of one of your first instances of seeing this new coaching staff say, hey, if you're not going to perform, we can't have you around on the roster. Um, so that's what happened. That makes for a very interesting, almost odd bullpen composition in that you have four left-handers you really have three long left-handers in Alexander, Norris, and Derek Holland. Um, Hinch has you know, said he's not going to peg any of those guys into any specific role. But at the end of the day, you have three lefties with length and a fourth lefty with Soto. I think that gives you the ability to be creative. It is um, an interesting bullpen in terms of the mix of long, quote-unquote, long guys, another term A.J. Hinch doesn't like, but versatile pitchers guys who can slot in be situational lefties or go multiple innings Fulmer who can go multiple innings or maybe I think we're going to see Fulmer get a chance on some like one inning power type stints and then probably Soto and Cisnero or, or maybe your guys at the back end of this bullpen who 
you hope can kind of lock down the eighth and the ninth if they can both throw strikes, Soto especially. Um, so I don't know. Like I think this is a little bit of an abnormal roster, and we'll talk about the infield more as we go on, but but some unique settings here, and I think that's also a reminder that the opening day roster is not how it's going to stay all year. We'll see some guys fluctuate up and down. We probably won't see Tyler Alexander or all four of these lefties in the bullpen all season long. Um, this will change probably within a week or two. But for right now, fun to talk about. Who took Jimenez's spot? Yeah, I, I, I guess Derek Holland. Like, I thought, and I think the Tigers front office and coaching staff had viewed it as kind of Holland versus Tyler Alexander for most of spring. And Holland uh, pitched his butt off, showed some incredible velocity. I think he hit like 96, um, really kind of looking rejuvenated to the point you couldn't leave him off the roster. Tyler Alexander was kind of Tyler Alexander this spring and that he was solid. He threw a lot of strikes. He, he also got banged around a little bit in one of his outings because he was in the strike zone almost too much. Um, but I think at the end of the day, they were like, uh, let's, let's take the best relievers. And you could argue Tyler Alexander still outperformed Joe Jimenez. Joe really struggled, really looked lost, struggled with command at times, got hit around at other times. Um, so it, it, it's, it's kind of brutal to face to say, but I think Jimenez pitched his way out of the bullpen, which allowed them to keep Alexander around. This was a big step for the coaching staff to sort of put their foot down and say, like, you have to perform. I think that was probably the best point you made just then is that you have to be able to perform and we're not going to hang on to you because of some old nostalgia. Speaking of proving to be able to perform in the outfield, our boy, Akil Badu joins Robbie Grossman, Jacoby Jones, Nomar Mazzara, and Victor Reyes. So last week we talked about the the outfield conundrum. They end up going with five, which after we recorded, we were like, oh, they probably won't go with five. They might send Victor Reyes down. And then, the again, Dan Dickerson sort of kicking that idea on the radio, which whenever he says something, I tend to think like it's not just him saying that, if that makes sense. But then they ended up going with five. So what do we think went into the decision to keep five outfielders? If I had to guess, there were probably some different opinions in the room. Um, Maybe some front office members who wanted to keep the five outfielders. Maybe some other guys who maybe like an A.J. Hinge. I don't know for sure, but who probably wouldn't have as much of an attachment. Would have been more okay maybe starting Reyes in AAA which the more I thought about it, the more I thought that was probably the right thing to do. We don't have to kid ourselves and pretend Reyes is an all-star. He might be a fine player, but do you really lose much if you start Reyes in AAA? I don't think so. Um, Clearly, the Tigers ultimately thought about it a different way, and obviously you wanted to keep Badu because he's earned it. They also like Reyes a lot, and Reyes has been, been solid enough this spring um so i think aj had just kind of talked about you know you can you can go with five outfielders for now again it's something that's probably not going to last the whole season i think either an injury or badu flames out or maybe if a reyes or jones struggles i think they'll still aim to get to four outfielders because it's just going to be tough it's just going to limit your bench um and i think that's also why we saw harold castro make the infield rather than renato nunez i feel like if you have five outfielders, you need that extra infield versatility um, because because obviously you lose you know what what would otherwise be an infield spot by carrying these five guys in the outfield. We'll get to the infield in a second, but I wanted to talk about Jacoby Jones because that was another name kind of thrown out there on Tiger's Twitter as a guy that you know do we really need to have him still on the team? And, and we push back on that. We we both like Jacoby Jones, yeah. you know, to the level that he deserves. So how much of a leash does he have to be the everyday center fielder, you think, uh, with AJ? Yeah, I, I, to quote Jim Harbaugh, I don't like leashes on humans, number one. <laughs> number two, um, yeah, I don't even know if I like like Jacoby Jones. I'm not one of these guys who thinks Jacoby Jones is is going to blossom into an all star. Like I think what we see with Jacoby is what we get, which is an incredibly streaky player who will have great months and terrible months, or great two week spans and terrible two week spans. That's just kind of who he is. 
But you can't overlook the fact he has been one of your most productive offensive players over the past year. AJ Hinch has even said he maybe doesn't get quite enough credit for that. Um, I do still think he will be not gifted this center field job. He will have to earn being the starting center fielder. So if you want to talk about how long is his leash, maybe it's not that long, or I think there's a world in which he plays a little more in left. I think Hinch and the new staff kind of like him in left and maybe more of Reyes in center or if Badu can hit, Badu is probably a better defender in center field. So um, it, it's kind of like the Jimenez thing where, although he's not going to start in AAA, if we're really going to see Jacoby Jones stick as the everyday center fielder, he's going to have to perform both at the plate and in the field for that to remain the case. Hinch said today that Badu is going to have a role. It's not like he's done. So what is that role when you have a crowded outfield like the Tigers are opening the season? Yeah, I almost don't know if I believe that. Like, that's something that that's like easier said than done. I think it's easy to say right now, oh, we're not just going to stash him. But then if you get into games, like, sorry, are you going to play him over Nomar Mazzara, who in theory, you know, can bring more offensive potential? Are you going to play him over Jacoby Jones? Like, like, who are you playing him over? I still think he's a late game defensive replacement and a pinch runner. AJ Hinch said he's going to try to start Badu maybe in the opening series to give him a challenge. So, you know, maybe we'll see him start some games in center field. Um, and, and then we'll see how he responds. I still think the, you know, I don't know, even facing Shane Bieber is a little different than, than some of the looks Badu's got in spring training. So if he struggles at the plate, how are you going to get him a role? I'm, I'm not sold that that's actually going to be the case. Yeah, that's fair. So you mentioned infield, Harold Castro, Willie Castro, Nico Goodrum, Jonathan Scope, Miguel Cabrera, and Jamer Candelario. The Castro thing, I think, surprised a lot of people. You already kind of went into the thinking to keep him on the team uh, to open the season. The infield seems pretty set. How much do you think Miguel Cabrera sort of playing like an adequate first baseman played into the Nunez decision. Yeah, I, I think that was certainly at least a part of it. We're still not going to see Miguel every day at first base, but I, he's he's probably shown that, yeah, he probably can do two or three games a week at first. Um, I, I still think it's weird. Like, I think it's strange to not have a first baseman. First base is a position where it's easy to acquire uh, power bats, um, guys who can get on base a little bit, and for whatever reason, the Tigers didn't seem super interested on getting one of those guys on a major league deal this offseason. And then they signed Nunez on a minors deal, which I thought, okay, that could actually be some really good value. And then you don't carry Nunez on the roster, which I can understand the thinking. He's not a good defender. It's not like he has great on-base numbers. But he had a 120 weighted runs created plus, which means he was 20% better than the average MLB hitter last season and he was right at league average before that and hit 31 homers with the Orioles and you're one of the worst offensive teams in baseball and you're not going to carry that guy I think it I think it shows you how much Badu complicated things and kind of messed up the whole roster um but it's also to be honest a decision I don't I don't fully agree with yeah Harold Castro can do a lot of nice things but he's not going to hit 30 homers. He's not going to have a, a 120-weighted runs created plus. And now you have this weird revolving door at what should be a premium offensive position. I think that's a really strange roster construction and not one that's going to lead to a lot of runs scored in your lineup. Um, now, granted, having Miguel Cabrera able to play over there, I think, helps things a little bit. But do you really want Nico Goodrum and Harold Castro playing a couple times a week at first base, too? I just think it's a weird setup, and I kind of th thought the front office would lobby to at least give Nunez a shot and give him a month or two and see how he hits, and maybe they did, but I was I was a little bit surprised. I understand the rationale for keeping Castro, but I was surprised it actually happened. AJ's quote afterward was interesting. You put it on Twitter, which you can follow Cody on Twitter, at Cody Stavenhagen. You put it on Twitter as sort of like the baseball version of it's not you, it's me. Can you kind of elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, it sounds like that's that's exactly what they told uh, Renato Nunez when, when AJ called him in his office and he said, you know, the toughest thing about this is this guy is a big league hitter. He told Nunez, 
you know, you're a big league hitter, you've put up numbers, you've proven it, um, and we're still going to have to tell you no. So yeah, very much like, oh, you're, you're a great guy, you're super nice, you treat me well, it's just, uh, you know, I don't really want a relationship right now. It's kind of that kind of thing. And it's like, well, okay, so you're telling me it's not me, but actually it's me. Actually, it was the fact that Nunez wasn't a good defender as much as he is a good offensive player. He's not a great offensive player. Um, you couldn't real, really, other than he's not a very good defensive player, nail down like specific criticisms, but if it, if it wasn't him, then he would be on the roster. If that makes any sense at all. Um, same time, right. It was the Tigers situation was complicated by the fact they needed more flexibility. You were already carrying Miguel Cabrera as this first baseman DH, probably not that good of a defender. You're going to carry five outfielders because you had this rule five pick light up spring training. Um, so in that regard, that's where like, it wasn't necessarily that Nunez didn't perform. It was that he didn't totally make sense on the roster because the roster was set up somewhat strangely to begin with. Yeah, absolutely. And to round this out, catcher, this ended up being really anticlimactic, I feel like. Yeah. Obviously, Wilson Ramos is your starter, and then Grayson Griner is the backup catcher. And he, and to his credit, he did go out and earn it this spring. He did. I think Griner earned it, and I think good on A.J. Hinch and the coaching staff. They used the word competition at the start of camp, and they gave it to the guy who's probably the most consistent both offensively and defensively, Eric Haas can hit the ball around a little bit too, but I think Griner is a better game planner, probably a little better defensively behind the plate, and uh, and he's hit the ball really hard all spring, which includes missing a week after taking a pitch in the face. He came right back and didn't miss a beat. So Griner won the job. You almost wonder what would have happened if they never used the word competition. If you just... Uh, we're actually just going to take Jake Rogers because he still has the potential and the upside, and that's, again, something that might have happened in the past, not really the way this coaching staff is going to operate. I still think we're going to see a lot of Jake Rogers in the big leagues this year. You have to find out what you have in him and maybe make a firm decision on that by the end of the season. So especially if Griner's not hitting well, I think we could see plenty of Rogers. Um, but kudos to Grayson Griner for earning it. I think the most interesting thing I learned was AJ Hinch said Grayson Griner has probably been their best game planner, their best game caller of all the catchers. Seems like Wilson Ramos included. Dustin Garneau would be, you know, kind of the one-two with Griner there. I don't think that's a great, uh, a great endorsement of Jake Rogers, who's maybe he has these elite defensive, you know, athletic ability. But if he can't call, if he's not your best game caller, again, that's not great. Um, for your young pitching staff. I haven't been that impressed by Grinder's game calling and sequencing in the past, but he's got some experience now. Maybe he's learned. It sounds like he puts in the preparation. So um, that's that's another big reason he got the job. How much, especially with AJ being a former catcher, percentage-wise, how important is that uh, the game planning, the game calling for, uh, for major league catchers or specifically for the Tigers uh, in terms of how you get in a lineup hitting your fielding ability your arm all that stuff how much is game planning yeah I think it's I think it's huge I mean I think it's at least 50 percent and you could argue it like it varies like if you have an elite arm well, maybe it's okay if you're more of a b-level game caller or if you're um, Wilson Contreras and you're a great hitter uh, it's okay if you're not a great pitch framer and you're not a great game caller but overall, especially when you're looking at like a backup catcher, I think you want a guy who can call a good game, who can handle a young pitching staff. I think you could argue that might be the most important trait. That was a lot of the rationale for, for why you would want Jake Rogers up there, a guy who can really hold down his own defensively and supposedly mesh with Mize and Scooble and these guys he's caught before. But if Griner's really better at pitch calling and game planning and prep, then, then you can see, again, you can see why he got the job. I think that's definitely important. And you have a starting catcher in, in Wilson Ramos, who although he's a veteran, he's not uh, a good defender, and we've we've really seen that in these past few spring training games. Again, Griner, Griner's a league average defender at best. The numbers say he's slightly below average pitch framer, probably, probably slightly below average pop time. Um, but if he's, if he's grown to the point, he's doing some intangible things. I think that's, um, I think that's as important as anything for him. All right. So moving on, we each came up with three keys to a successful 
Detroit Tigers season. And what I mean by successful, I'm not necessarily talking about wins, but if you want the 2021 season to set up the future of the team, here are some things that need to kind of go in that direction. So we, I don't know yours, you don't know mine, so we'll, we'll just talk about them one by one. I chose three because Alan Trammell, you have three. Three plus three equals six. Al Kaline, we keep things really, <laughs> we keep things in motion here at Turn- the Turning the Corner podcast. So my first one is I want to see this infield combination a lot this season. Not the majority of the time necessarily, but a lot. I want to see Candelario at third. I want to see Paredes at second, and I want to see Willie at shortstop. Obviously, Willie's gonna Willie Castro is gonna be at shortstop a lot. But I want to see those guys in the infield together for a healthy chunk of games to be able to determine, A, is Jamer's bat legit big league? Was the last year a fluke? And, you know, can Paredes hit major league pitching? Which, you know, the jury's still out on that. And I want to see, can he play second base? Because when you're looking at, you know, a couple years down the line of what moves the Tigers need, need to make, those questions being answered are what's going to determine what moves they make. So what do you make of that? Yeah, I think I think uh, that's spot on. One of mine was kind of you need Willie Castro or Jamer. You kind of need one of those guys to prove they can stick, to prove they're actually either a longer term piece or like or like in the case of Candelario, maybe a valuable trade asset. Um I think that's important that, that you need those guys to show that they weren't just a fluke, that can Willie Castro be your shortstop or at least a, a, a good hitting second baseman? Or can Candelario either be your third baseman or a valuable trade asset? If both of those guys kind of flame out or, or regress or don't hit well, I don't think that's great news for the future. Um, my other big takeaway in kind of making these these you know three important things is you know, this year matters, but actually it doesn't. So one of mine would be you need Riley Green, Spencer Torkelson, and another mystery candidate to play well in the minor leagues and prove that they can be big leaguers in 2022. I think that's as important as anything that happens in the entire organization. I think you need Riley Green to finish the year in AAA. I think you want Torkelson to blow through class a probably spend most of the year in Erie. Maybe he could even finish in triple a, or if he doesn't, he could still look like a hitter. So good. Maybe he could skip triple a, um, next year. And then I think you also need someone else, a Parker Meadows, a Cody Clemens, a Bryant Packard, some other kind of player development victory, a a position player who has a good year in the minors and suddenly looks a little bit more like a big leaguer. I think that can be very important for the organization. My second note was I want an identity and a direction from this team now that now that the power structures seem to be in line and quite frankly on paper better than they have been in in several years. So I don't know if you can really build a team without an identity and I do feel like that's one of the things that AJ has been doing this whole spring training is uh, putting pressure on defenses. That's something we see a lot. Flexibility, we talked about that with the roster decisions. An emphasis on base running, which I'm a sucker for. I'll be honest. I'm a sucker for putting emphasis on base running. Not necessarily base stealing, but being aggressive and making the defense kind of uh, play on their heels a little bit. And we know that the lineup as is, is not going to hit very well consistently. So they're going to have to manufacture runs. I think that's going to be one of the things that AJ is going to instill in this team is the need to manufacture runs. And we've seen it several times in spring training, taking the extra base, getting the sack fly. It's not the sexiest plays on the planet, but those are winning baseball plays. And so I want to see sort of the seeds planted with those because as the roster improves, and guys come up from the minors or they make big free agent signing or whatever, that can kind of be tiered with a little bit. Like if you can get the amount of bats you want in the lineup, you don't necessarily have to manufacture runs as much as a premium. But if you have those values instilled, I think those are long-term things that will bode well for the franchise. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, so I think my first point was you need a, a Castro or a Candelario to stick. My second point was you need the position prospects to play well. I think my third point can kind of tie into the identity thing. I think by the end of this season, your starting rotation needs to resemble the starting rotation of the future. might be a little tricky with the innings limit, but that means Mize Manning and Scooble are in the big leagues, and they're in the big leagues to stay. Like You don't need Mize and Scooble bouncing up and down all year. Uh, Manning, whenever he gets the call, we'll see how he does. But I think you have to establish, like, these guys are the future. They're here to stay. So that means you need Mize and Scooble to take steps forward. That means you need Manning to uh, handle the AAA level well and prove he's ready for the big leagues. In a way, that should be kind of like a simple no-brainer to happen this year. But, like, I think it's important in setting the tone. I think you want to feel confident in at least two or two of those three guys going into the 2022 season. And I think that will have a lot to do in shaping the, the direction and the identity of this franchise. So my last key was draft a bat in the first Ooh, round. Okay. And I know that's not, that might not be very popular because uh, Jack Leiter is lining it up. He's going one one. <laughs> like he, well, just in general. I mean, there's a, there's a decent amount of pitchers at the top. MLB, by the way, still has him ranked number six. I don't know when they updated this, oh, but uh, his teammate, so his teammate is still ahead, is still ahead of him. But I think I I think it'd be more wise to draft a bat. You got to allocate your resources a certain way. Taking another starting pitcher might not be the best way of allocating resources. And when I was looking and I was doing research on this, I was like, man, the cupboard is pretty bare in the outfield. If you're looking, besides Riley Green, you're sort of hoping Derek Hill can bat 200. You're hoping Daz Cameron can become the Daz Cameron that they traded for. Those two things are far from guarantees. Daniel Cabrera was the guy they drafted high last year who was a very well-regarded pick, but, you know, he's a college guy. We don't really know what he can do, and he essentially had to miss a year of baseball. So, like I said, we don't really know what to make of him yet. And I'm looking at the uh, I'm looking at the top prospects, and we, we've texted about this guy before. Judd Fabian is kind of considered the number one college bat in this draft and I pulled up his statistics because we were talking about his swing and miss right that was the thing that we had discussed he has eight home runs this year however he has 34 strikeouts and what how many walks does he have and 14 walks and that's in you know probably 20 little low 20 uh, amount of games like 23 you know something like that it's not good that's, that's not ideal. Strikeouts. 270 batting average if you care about that. Again, again, go compare it to Kristen Stewart's college numbers uh, like, I, like I did a couple weeks ago. Um, a higher strikeout rate, a lower batting average. How well is that actually going to translate to the big leagues? Fabian, for what it's worth, he's a really good defensive player too. I liked him a lot coming into the year, but the more I see that swing and miss, the more I see the strikeout totals, that is, if you're hitting 270 in college you're not going to hit 270 in the big leagues. You know, you maybe hit 220, but if you're not going to walk like Joey Gallo, and how much is your, again, how much does that power actually show up in games? Um, you know, I don't, I think that would be a very risky pick to make it three, especially if it means passing on a, a Kumar Rocker or a, um, um, like Jordan Lawler is actually striking out a lot in high school right now. But I think there's a little bit too strong at the top of the draft to, to almost roll the dice on a hitter with that kind of profile. And that's fair. That's fair. It's just, like I said, it, it's not very promising in the outfield, in the system. And if you look at free agents, there's not a lot of sexy names after this season the season after that, there are a lot of them, like the Aaron Judges of the world, but a lot of them you just anticipate will get re-signed. So I think we talked about a lot about infield, but we talked about infield because there's a lot of bodies. I don't necessarily see a whole lot of bodies in the outfield that are teetering on major league uh, status right now, and that and that's concerning to me. Yeah, I think the good news is you need 
one less body in the outfield. I think you have one in Riley Green. I think we'll see what happens in the center field, but we've talked about it before. There could very easily be a world where you sign a power bat in uh, at the other corner opposite Riley Green, whether that's Kyle Schwarber next offseason or maybe a bigger splash in two years. Um, Jock Peterson, again, like would could be an option. And then, well, if you have a Jock Peterson and Riley Green, then maybe you could go with a, a Derek Hill or, um, you know, sign someone else who's strictly kind of a defensive center fielder. And then, for what it's worth, you still do have Victor Reyes, Daz Cameron, maybe Akil Badu, who wouldn't be terrible fourth outfielders in the future. Daniel Cabrera, the Tigers seem to think, can be an everyday player. Um, Bryant Packard can hit a bit in the minor leagues. Parker Meadows. Again, the, we have, we really have no idea who how those guys are going to turn out. Um, but I, I don't think you can stake this whole draft on an outfielder, especially given that doesn't really seem to be where the talent is at in this draft. It's at pitcher and it's at shortstop. Do you have a early favorite for the three pick, assuming Leiter goes 1-1? Uh, yeah, I think Leiter goes 1-1. We'll see who goes 2. Who knows? Maybe it's Lawler. I think if Kumar Rocker is there, I am taking him. Um, you can never have enough pitching. Re- staking a rebuild on pitching is already kind of risky if you're in the camp that's down on Casey Mize. Like, oh, it, it wouldn't hurt to have another elite pitching prospect in your system. Or I think drafting a Rocker gives you some more flexibility and maybe trading one of these starters at some point. If Rocker is there, I think I'm taking him. Speaking of trading, we each also came up with a bold prediction. My bold prediction is that Daniel Norris reestablishes himself as a viable, and I emphasize that word, a viable starting pitcher. Not a top-end rotation guy, but a but a but a guy that you can throw out there and feel confident that he's going to put you in a, in a uh, that he is going to put you in position to win. We talked about it with your story that came out a couple weeks ago. He wants to be a starting pitcher. He's been judged on just bad luck or bad runs, bad pitching, and then injuries, and then we sort of didn't give him the chance again. I think he's going to get that chance, and I think he looks like a guy who is a major league starting pitcher. So then that becomes, what do you do with him at the end of July? Because if he is a viable starting pitcher and being a lefty, and even just the versatility that we already know that he has, those are the kind of guys that contenders trade for when they're trying to gear up for a postseason run. So do is that a scenario? Is that how bold is that? Is that a realistic scenario? Uh, I think regardless of how Daniel Norris does this season and whether he's a starter in the bullpen, he's going to get shopped hard at the trade deadline. There's really no benefit for the Tigers to keep him. He's a free agent at the end of the year. Um, so I think either way, he's he's going to get shopped. I guess maybe your decision gets harder if he's. I don't know. I, I think if he's pitching like a um, a viable starting pitcher, it only becomes easier to trade him. So I, I, I don't think the trade part is a tough decision. Can he become a viable starter? I think he has the stuff for it. I think he will need some help just getting those innings. That would, um, by help, unfortunately, that probably means injuries. You need other guys to to get hurt or a Tehran and, and Urania to either not perform well or have a stint on the IL. Something's going to have to open a spot for Daniel Norris to get starts. But I wouldn't be shocked if it happens. Uh, I'm, I'm definitely still a Daniel Norris believer. What's your bold prediction? So my bold prediction, all right, here's the thing about bold predictions. They're usually, it's got to be something bold, right? So it's got to be something that I'm probably totally wrong about. I uh, At the start of the year, I did like 10 predictions for the year. You can go find that on The Athletic. They were all pretty boring and safe because I, I like to be right. So for my bold prediction, I'm going to say, I think I've decided who your closer is. I think it's Michael Fulmer. Oh, that is bold. All right. I think by the end of the year, your closer is going to be Michael Fulmer because he's looked pretty good coming out of the pin. I think this is a guy with a big frame, with an injury history. Maybe it's best to go throw him out there in one inning stints and just have him let it eat. Um, We've seen his velocity tick up a little bit in settings like that. I think he has a good closer mentality. I think Fulmer's a grinder. He's a bulldog. I think he would like the moment. I think he could really come to 
embrace it. As as talented and dominant as Gregory Soto can be, I don't know that he's ever going to be quite the strike thrower you can really trust in the ninth. These other guys, Brian Garcia, Jose Cisnero, solid. I I think there's a world in which Fulmer starts pitching out of the pin. He ends up getting a couple looks in leverage roles. And if he performs well, suddenly the coaching staff is like, oh, maybe this is our guy. You could argue he almost has like too well-rounded of an arsenal, like is too versatile um, in terms of his pitch mix to be a closer. A lot of pitchers are one or, or two pitch guys, but like worked out pretty well for John Smoltz and that it almost allowed Smoltz to become more fastball slider, if I remember correctly. Um, so that's going to be my bold prediction. Might be crazy, might not be anywhere close to the truth, but I think it'd be a lot of fun. Do you happen to know what the over-under is for the Tigers this year? Uh, Fangrass projected them at 72 wins. I don't know what the Vegas, the Vegas over-under like 68 or something. You are such a good beat writer. The Vegas insider beat, <laughs> <laughs> the Vegas insider over-under win total is 68 and a half. Okay. 68 and a half. What do you, what should I bet if I'm going to bet? I I don't like the uh, 72 from Fangrass. I think that is pretty optimistic. I think 68 and a half, that shows you why Vegas is smart. They know how to how to get your money because I think the Tigers are probably right on that line, like 68, 69, maybe 70 wins. Um, so it really depends. Do I, am I feeling optimistic today or am I feeling pessimistic? I'll say today the Tigers uh, uh, chose to not – put Renato Nunez on the roster and I'm looking at this lineup and I just don't see how you're going to win 70 games. I just don't see a lot of offensive production. And so I would, I mean, I, I think like 68 is probably the number I would choose and that's under 68 and a half. So uh, yeah, I think it'd be cool if they could rally and pitch really well and, and win 70 games, but I don't know where you're getting run production. How much do you think is realistic to see Matt Manning this year? extremely realistic i think it's unless he you know pending injury i think it's like 100 percent he'll pitch in the big leagues this season i think the fact that other guys will be on limited innings um makes it even more likely i i get the sense the tigers are going to keep manning's innings pretty limited he's going to continue to pitch kind of two inning stints until the season starts and then you know maybe even be limited to three or four innings and i think by the summer when other guys are maybe either being shut down or suddenly being limited to three or four, they want to bring up Manning and say, okay, now you're going five or six for us. Again, it's something maybe, you know, a spot has to open up. Number one, if you have five starters who are all pitching well, that complicates things. That also probably means you're making moves at the deadline though. So I think, I think post-trade deadline at the latest, Matt Manning is up and he is a member of your rotation. And kind of like Mize and Scooble last year, like I talked about with setting the identity, you just throw him in and see how he does. And even if he struggles, like he's got to get through that those struggles in the big leagues a little bit. And I think that's why it's important to have him as a member of your rotation by the end of the year. How much does AJ talk about uh, innings limits? Uh, yeah, he's, he's not a fan of it. I think he's kind of said... You know, if there are innings limits, he's not even going to tell his pitchers what they are, what they are, because he wants them to go out and compete until someone tells them to stop. And it can be up to AJ and Chris Fetter in the front office to worry about, okay, what time, you know, do we actually institute an innings limit? Do we shut a guy down? And that's still going to be a tough call. Like, are you actually going to shut Casey Mize down in like August? Like, I don't. I don't think so, but are you going to do something like you did with Norris a couple years ago where these guys are limited to three innings because that kind of ties up your bullpen? There's still going to be some tough decisions to make, but you have to be responsible with these arms, especially the young ones. So I think we'll either see guys kind of get limited or slowed down or or even shut down as this year goes on. Another storyline today, Cody, is Miguel Cabrera is on the cusp of history. He is 134 hits and 13 home runs away from joining the 3,000 hit and 500 home run club. To date, only Hank Aaron, Alex Rodriguez, Willie Mays, Rafael Palmero, and Eddie Murray have been able to accomplish that. It's pretty special. Yeah, it's a really exclusive group, and it's it's. they showed this on the Tigers broadcast the other day, and it's kind of like, oh yeah, guess who's not in this club? Babe Ruth, Barry Bonds, 
those guys probably because of how often they walked. They weren't able to get to 3,000 hits. Uh, Rafael Palmero took me by surprise. I wouldn't have gotten him in this club. Miguel Cabrera has a chance and a very strong one to be a seventh, to be the seventh member of this club. It's a reminder of how historically great of a player he is. It's a great reason to attend some games at Comerica Park this summer, especially later in the summer. You are going to have a shot to witness history. I think Miggy has a very strong chance to reach both of these, these milestones. He'll need to stay healthy and stay on the field. But even in 2019, when he was hurt a lot of the year, he had 12 homers and 139 hits. Um, for as old as he is, I think it's these are both well within reason that he reaches these milestones. It would be kind of fun if he didn't hit for that much power all year and had a chance of his 3,000th hit also being his 500th home run. Uh, that, that That's what I'm rooting for, although the chances of that are probably pretty slim, and it, it would require him not hitting many homers all year. But it's going to be a major storyline to follow, and Miguel's going to get asked about it if, if he does media interviews, which is a another topic. But I think he will do some me- more media interviews in part because – uh, he's on the verge of some real history, and it'll be fun to watch. Uh, one of these things that will make a probably not very good team still interesting to follow. Um, and a reminder that even though he's in the twilight of his career, I don't know that we always appreciate just how good Miguel Cabrera really is. People in Detroit probably do, but I would think the broader baseball world um, – might not realize you know the the truly elite level that this guy's at you know i was thinking about this the other day is that whenever i would go whenever the tigers would be in texas to play the rangers i would always make it a point to to go to those games and i would always get there early so i could watch him take batting practice and just the smoothness of his swing and the way he approached like every single time he went to the plate i mean it was mesmerizing and you don't think that now just because of the way his play is declined, but we, we have to do a better job of not forgetting just how dominant and special he's been and let the contract and you know the declining play sort of like cloud our judgment about just how special he is. And a key member of the Detroit Tigers family because he's going to get into the Hall of Fame. He's likely going to be wearing a Detroit Tigers cap so, like, he's forever going to be a part of the franchise's history, along with the Al K lines and the Ty Cobbs and the Alan Trammels and all that stuff. Like, he is an all-time Tiger, and just because he has had a steep decline doesn't mean we shouldn't we should judge him by what he is now. And instead, look at the total the total career he's had. And I think that's something these milestones will do. They'll force us to kind of turn nostalgic and reflect on the totality of uh, Miguel's career rather than the past few years. It's always tough to see aging aging superstars kind of in the twilight. Willie Mays was like that in his last seasons in the big leagues. You know, we're, we've watched it play out with Albert Pujols um, in Anaheim, and we've watched it play out with Miguel. But they're going to put 24 up on the outfield wall. They're probably going to have a Miguel Cabrera statue um, you know, only a few years from now. And I think it'll be cool um, to kind of pause and reflect on what this guy has done and maybe remember the 2012-2013 Miguel a little more than the, you know, 2018-2019-2020 Miguel Cabrera. And I'll add a key to success thing for this season. I think if he continues to be more of a locker room presence and an advocate for AJ Hinch and the building of the next wave of Detroit Tigers baseball, I think that would be great for this franchise because I don't know if he's going to be around to benefit from what they're trying to do. It's impossible to say. But if he can be a part, even small, immeasurable part of building this team into being a perennial contender with the way he mentors young guys, I think that would be an amazing contribution on his way out the door as a player. It's it's kind of strange to envision what Miguel Cabrera will be like post-playing career. In the he's such a, a fascinating personality. In the past he said he wants to uh he wants to be part of a front office. And it's kind of tough to picture Miguel. He doesn't really have that personality. I can't see Miguel wanting to show up for a lot of meetings, but like 
And in a special assistant role, I think we like he could do it. I think this guy knows so much about the games. He might about the game. He might just be an excellent talent evaluator. Uh, he he also once said that if he weren't a baseball player, he might have been an engineer because there's there's a lot of money, uh, you know, in petroleum engineering in Venezuela. And supposedly Miguel Cabrera, we don't think of him as like smart, but he, I think he has a pretty incredible mathematical mind. He has a great memory. Uh, you know, the way he can recall at bats is very fascinating. The way a lot of great hitters can rattle off things like that. So yeah, is there a way that Miguel Cabrera, whether it's in his final days as a player or post playing career remains influential as a tiger? I don't know. Like, I don't know that I really see him hanging out at spring training the way Alan Trammell and Al Kaline did every year, but this guy also loves the game, and I think he has a little bit more of a passion and a knack for um, um, evaluating young players than maybe he gets credit for. You're going to want to follow Cody's stories this entire season, and it's my understanding, Cody, that at The Athletic, there's a pretty special uh, pretty special subscription deal going on right now. Ooh, the sales pitch, yeah. Uh, $1 a month for six months for new subscribers. You can click on one of my stories, and when you hit the paywall... That offer should appear um, $1 a month for six months. So that's a total of one, two, three, four. I think that's going to be $6, which is probably um, what you're going to spend on a mixed drink once the bars reopen here in Michigan or once they're open until two again. And that's going to cover the entire baseball season. Exactly. Exactly. I would hope you would renew your subscription after that. Let's be honest, you're going to put in your credit card number and you're probably going to forget to cancel it. And that's that's kind of good for us as a company. Uh, but yeah, hope you'll hope you'll take advantage of the offer if you haven't already. Six dollars price of a price of a two hearted like just come on, sign up. Yes, Cody, looking forward to reading your stories throughout the year. It's an exciting time. There's a lot of promise. That's what opening day is all about. You never know what's going to happen. It's a team that, at the very least, is going to be a very interesting follow. And given what we experienced the past couple of years, I'm not sure that's not a really good thing for now. So I'm Kieran Steckley for Cody Stavenhagen. Thank you for listening. Thank you.